Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning and happy Easter, everyone. Absolutely thrilled that you would have us join us on this historic, epic, life-changing, hope-filling, purpose-driven, grace-providing resurrection morning, the greatest day in all of history. Amen. For some of you here this morning, maybe uh, for some of our guests, this may be the first time you've been to church, maybe in a long time, and we're absolutely thrilled uh, to have you here this morning. And our prayer is that you would know before you leave here that God is so crazy in love uh, with you this morning, and that there's nothing from our past that he cannot redeem or restore or rebuild or repair. He is the shame fighter, the guilt reliever, the way maker, the pain taker, the chain breaker. He is the healer. He's the giver, the giver of life. And there really is no better life than a life in Jesus Christ. And so for everyone that is watching this morning online, for those of us who are here this morning, I want you to know there is hope because Christ rose from the dead this morning. That's a lot for us to be able to celebrate. Have a question. Have you ever been scammed? I mean, have you ever been a victim of a scam? You know, maybe you, you got a tip on a really, really good investment, and you kind of poured a lot of money into it, and then you lost all your money only to find out it was only a scam in the first place. Uh, the name Bernie Madoff is kind of synonymous with scam. Uh, in 2008, his scam was discovered. They, they called it a, a Ponzi scheme. And what they discovered is that he stole, get a load of this, $65 billion uh, from people. Bernie was uh, a fraud, and uh, he committed um, security fraud, mail fraud, uh, wire fraud, investment fraud, and the list goes on and on. Sometimes it's very hard to spot a fraud to spot a, a scam. And yet there's some other ones that are kind of a little more obvious, uh, like the Yahoo Boys. That's the uh, name that was given to them uh, by the internet. You may be familiar with some of their scams. You know, you get an email in your inbox, and we have this, uh, you can claim this large amount of money if you register with a certain amount of money. Or, you know, maybe there's uh, someone that's in a, a foreign country in jail and they need help. Could you help them? Or, you know, the, the family that's in Nigeria, you know, that has like $145 million sitting in their account and they need a Canadian account to deposit it into. Would you help them? You know, some scams are maybe a little easier to spot. Uh, but others can be a little more challenging. And people have been scammed, really, since the beginning of time. It seems like scams have been going on like never before. Maybe we're just hearing more about them. But people uh, continue to try to, to trick and take advantage and hoodwink and deceive and misinform and fraud and swindle and be dishonest so they can have the upper hand over other people. But what about this scenario? You get up in the morning, you walk to your mailbox, you open it up, and you pull out, and there's a letter there. It's addressed to you, and up on the right-hand corner is some really fancy gold lettering. It's a, it's a lawyer's office. It's from a, a law firm, 
and uh, you're kind of curious, so you quickly open it up and you discover that you have a distant relative who has died and has left you with a million dollars. Now, maybe when you first open up, you go, oh, that sounds a little fishy to me. But then you start looking at the paper. It's such high quality. Only lawyers can afford this kind of paper. And you start looking it over and you think, well, maybe I should make a phone call. Maybe I should just check to see if there's any truthfulness in this correspondence. Why would we do that? Because the offer is too good. It's too great to not at least follow up on it. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is just like that. If you're here this morning and, you know, maybe you, you doubt about the, the resurrection or maybe you have questions, I would say to you, why not at least check it out because the offer is too great not to check it out. Sins actually forgiven. Guilt and shame removed. A purpose for living. Eternal life with God. If you're here today, and, and maybe you're just a, a little bit skeptical, it's just too good not to check out. Is the resurrection true? And is Jesus who he says he is? Uh, with that, what I'd like to do is read from a personal eyewitness, someone who was actually there when all this took place. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, would you just turn to the book of John? He, he wrote about this one particular event in the 20th chapter. John chapter 20. Uh, as I said, he's an eyewitness. He was there during the life of, of Jesus. He was there when they, he went to trial. He was there when they crucified him. He was there when he noticed that the tomb was actually empty. So John chapter 20. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. It kind of just refreshes us what actually took place on that third day from an eyewitness uh, an account. John chapter 20. Are you there? Oh, three of you are. Good. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. They still did not understand, though, from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they, they put him. 
at this, she, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to warn him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not, hold on to, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said all these things to her. The first thing you need to know is that nobody was looking for a resurrection. Nobody was at the tomb counting with a countdown. In fact, all of Jesus' friends, if he, they had been on Facebook, all of Jesus' friends would have unfriended him on Facebook. On the day that Jesus died, when Jesus was crucified, everybody unfollowed Jesus. There were no followers of Jesus after the crucifixion. And here's why. It's not that they didn't appreciate all that he had done. It's not that they didn't have tremendous uh, memories that they could look back of, of the good years. No. The problem was Jesus had made so many claims about himself that when Jesus actually died, it undermined everything that he said. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if you're the way, truth, and life, then how can you be dead? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, how can the resurrection and the life have, well, have died? Jesus said, I'm the Son of God. Hmm. How does the Son of God allow himself to be buried? See, when Jesus was crucified and died, even the extraordinarily high hopes, people that had these high hopes, those who had been healed from sickness, Everybody's faith in Jesus vanished. There were no Christians after the crucifixion. There was no Jesus followers after the crucifixion because the game was over. There was nothing to hold on to. There was no movement to keep alive. There was no message worth repeating because Jesus had said so much about himself, then he allowed himself to be caught, taken into custody, convicted, tried, and crucified. Nobody is outside the tomb with the countdown going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, waiting for this, the stone to roll away. Nobody. Even his closest friends. In fact, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, she didn't go to the tomb expecting that it's going to be empty. In fact, I was wondering why did she go to the tomb? I, maybe it was just to go reflect, maybe just to ponder some of the memories, because Jesus had elevated her, had elevated the status of women. And she longed for, to be able to maybe speak to him or see him again, but he was dead. And it says that she went like just at the crack of dawn. It was still dark. 
as she was making her way uh, to the tomb. I don't know, maybe she couldn't sleep. And she just wanted to go and to remember. But she did not go with a one ounce of expectation that that tomb would be empty. Because when she gets there, and the stone has been rolled away, and it's empty, she panics. She runs back to the other disciples and says, someone has stolen his body. He's not there. I don't know what they did with his body. The disciples, it said, ran. John and Peter ran to the tomb. Uh, John obviously was a little more athletic. He got there first because Peter was lagging behind. And John, he looks into the tomb. He doesn't go in. And he sees the linens in the tomb. And then it says that Peter, he just rushed right in there. And it says that Peter saw the linens. That's an interesting word that is used there in the, in the original language. Usually in Greek, they would use a word called blepo, which means, you know, I, I see, like I, I see it's a beautiful day out. I, I, I see you've built a house for yourself. Uh, but but the, the Greek word that's actually used here when it says that Peter saw, it's the word theoreo, which is where we get our English word theorize. It means to observe intently and try to figure out what in the world is the explanation for it all. See, Peter is, is, is looking for the evidence. He's trying to figure out what has just happened. And nowhere in all of his explanation is there a theory that perhaps he is resurrected from the dead. Because no one is planning on it. It's the farthest thing from their minds. And Peter is trying to put the pieces together and figure out what has just happened. Uh, maybe he's thinking, well, if, if they're grave robbers, why would they leave the linens and all the expensive spices that keep the body from smelling? You know, or, or maybe he's thinking, well, if it's one of the followers of Jesus, why would they dishonor his body by removing it naked? You see, Peter is reasoning. He, he's theorizing He's trying, to, he's trying to figure out what has happened. He's not expecting any resurrection. He's just trying to think, figure things out. And let me tell you, it took a lot of evidence. It took a lot of reasoning for him to be able to come to a conclusion later that there was a resurrection. Because at face value, that's not what they saw. They did not go to the tomb and go, oh, it's empty. Ha! He must have rose from the dead. No. Didn't even cross their mind. Now, some people here this morning, you know, maybe you, um, you think, well, Christians, you know, they, they just kind of believe this stuff that's the simple faith stuff from the Bible. There's really no rational thinking as to, to come to a solid conclusion that there's a resurrection. I mean, really, what's the evidence uh, that brings us to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, first of all, you, you need to know Christian faith is, is uh, it's much more than reasoning, but it's not less than that. And if our Christian faith is, is not filled with all kinds of Christian reasoning, it will not last in all the ups and downs of the world that we're in. So some here this morning, Maybe you think, well, the only reason you even believe in the resurrection is that the Bible tells you this big, fancy story, and you just believe because it's written in the Bible. I, 
it's actually you that I want to speak to uh, this morning. Because it actually took a lot of evidence and reasoning for even those who were close to Jesus to even believe that there was a resurrection because nobody was expecting it. Nobody believed it. In 1980, there was an award-winning Chicago investigative journalist who was a self-proclaimed atheist. He went on a two-year journey to prove that the resurrection wasn't true. And the reason he went on this journey is because his wife had had accepted Jesus as her personal Savior, and he couldn't get it. He kept thinking, my wife's a smart woman. Why would she fall for this? And so he made it his, his goal that I'm going to convince my wife that what she's believing is wrong. She's been hoodwinked into believing such a thing. Because he said there's no evidence for such a claim. And he was going to prove his wife to his wife that he was right and she was wrong. Many of us know him, Lee Strobel. And after spending two years of a serious and thorough investigation, he came to this conclusion after traveling literally around the world that there was actually overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. He even wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. It's a book written by a skeptic for a skeptic. And I realized this morning in a crowd this size, there would be people that uh, would not claim to be Christians, you know, would not claim to be a follower of Jesus, and, and that's okay. We're, we're glad that you're here. This is a great place to bring your questions. You know, maybe you were invited here this morning. Maybe you were dragged here. Maybe you were conned here. Maybe you were bribed with lunch. Maybe you were paid. Maybe you came to make Grandma happy. Not too sure. <laughs> but we're glad you're here. But if you were saying to me, Donald, you got about 30 minutes of my time to prove to me, or at least to consider the resurrection of Jesus. I tell you, I would not defend the history of the church. Because quite frankly, we have some dirty parts of our history. The past is not all glorious. I wouldn't even try to defend Christians, what they say and what they do and how they act towards other people because quite frankly, you know, as Christians we can be embarrassing to the faith. I wouldn't even try to prove to you from the, from the Bible to consider the resurrection because long before this Bible was ever put together, there were thousands of people who actually believed in the resurrection. Not because they had a Bible, but for other reasons. Well, what would those reasons be? Why would there literally be thousands of people without a Bible to tell people that Jesus rose from the dead? How is that even possible? Well, let me tell you, when news got out in Jerusalem and those living in the vicinity that Jesus had risen from the dead, you can imagine that just spread like wildfire. Uh, in fact, when you know somebody who was actually there when he was convicted, they were there when they crucified him, they were there when they put him in the tomb, and then they have lunch with him a couple days later, you're going to listen. What? Word is going to just spread read it was their social media talk, 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 talk. if if phones had been phone lines would have been busy all the time cell phones would have lost you know their their battery charge because just talking so much about it 
And so just people are talking. Did you hear? Did you hear? I was there. I saw him. He's alive. And, and people are, are, are chatting and talking. And, and so they're, they're talking and then they're writing things down. Eyewitnesses are actually writing things down that they saw that Jesus had rose from the dead. In fact, one guy who was an eyewitness, he was a tax collector. And he sat down after the resurrection and he wrote an entire account of Jesus' life as an eyewitness. And then there was another guy, Mark. Again, he, he wasn't an eyewitness, but he was friends of all the disciples and, and so he talked to all the eyewitnesses. And then he sat down and wrote an account of Jesus' life based on what the eyewitnesses had said. And then there was this um, doctor guy, Luke. He did the same thing. Sat down and began to write the things that he had heard from the eyewitnesses. In fact, it says in the beginning of his book, it says, I have decided, I have an endeavor to write an orderly account of all the things that have happened in our midst. And then there's another guy, John, we just read about it. He was there. Like he had front row seats of Jesus' life, what he taught, what he said. I mean, he was there when, when they arrested him in the garden. I mean, he was there when he was inside being tried in front of Pilate. Like he was there when he was crucified. He was there when he was buried in the tomb. And John saw the resurrected Christ. And, and it says that when he became an old man, like he, he said, i got to write these things down so people will know. And then there was a man named Peter. He saw it. In fact, he's, that's recorded right there in John. John says, my friend Peter, he went right into the tomb. He was an eyewitness account that the tomb was empty. And then Peter, he, he begins to write letters and he sends them out all over the place letting people know, I've seen him. I've seen him. And then of course there's, there's Jesus' half-brother, James. Now imagine, all during Jesus' life, James didn't believe a word that his brother said. His entire life, nope. That's not for me. That's not for me. It probably would be hard to convince your brother that you are the son of God. I don't know if you ever tried that, but that would be challenging. And it says that James had nothing to do with it. But something happened in James's life that radically changed his opinion. An encounter with the resurrected Christ. In fact, he later becomes one of the, the great church leaders of the first century. And he wrote letters letting people know that Jesus is alive. And then there's this eyewitness. His name is Paul. Paul. If you take any ancient history class in a university... They will all tell you in history there was a man named Paul who probably had the biggest impact on the spreading of Christianity throughout the entire Mediterranean area. That, you know, they give him credit. They don't take that from the Bible. They just take it from history. There was a man who greatly influenced. And Paul, 
tells of his account. And what's so drastic about Paul is that Paul actually hated people that followed Jesus. That's what's so amazing. He actually is one of the first people that have recorded that he went out purposely to pursue Christians and either put them in prison or kill them. That was his goal. That was his plan. That was his purpose. And, and now all of a sudden, everything has changed in his life. He's actually going out. He's traveling. He's telling people, I've seen him. And Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. He literally saw him. And it changed everything. So we don't believe that the resurrection just because it's in the Bible. No, there were eyewitnesses everywhere. In fact, there's a story where Jesus appeared before 500 individuals. And they're like, what? Wow. And people wrote about it. But there's another guy. He's not in the Bible. You can't find him anywhere in the Bible. He's part of history. And he gives evidence, actually, of a resurrected Christ. His name is Nero. Have you heard of him? If I was asked you to list a bunch of uh, Roman um, leaders, probably we couldn't come up with many. But most of us know Nero. We've heard of Nero. We probably don't know any laws that he passed. We probably don't know who his mother was or his father. Uh, we, don't know, we probably don't know that he was the one that actually murdered his own mother and killed his first wife. We, maybe we don't know those things. We don't know who he followed, who was before him, who was the emperor after. But we do know a couple things about Nero. We probably learned it in high school. Two things. Number one, Nero burnt down the city of Rome. I think probably most of us have heard that. The second thing that we know about Nero is he blamed a certain group of people. Who did Nero blame? Anybody know? Christians. Nero blames the burning of his own city on Christians. That's not in the Bible, by the way. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That's just part of history. And Nero breaks this story out and flam, uh, fames the flam, uh, flames and, and it just goes, it spreads like wildflower. Do you know why Nero blamed the Christians? Because there were thousands of them in the city of Rome. And it was only 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So 30 years after the resurrection, Nero comes up with this plan to blame Christians because there's thousands of them in the city of Rome. The reason I say that's important to know, because people have done studies on this. You know, people will say, well, it takes about 60 to 80 years for a myth or a legend or a fable to actually you know, take, take over, where it gets exaggerated and exaggerated and exaggerated to the point where people believe something that really never actually happened. But it's, it's kind of based on something that happened. But it takes about 60 to 80 years, research says. And the reason it takes so long is because it takes that long for the, all the eyewitnesses to be dead. 
to be gone before it can actually be turned into a fable. Because if there's an eyewitness, they can say, oh, no, that's actually not true. That's not actually how it happened. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's just part of history. And history tells us that Nero was looking for a group of people to blame, and he blamed uh, the burning of Roman on thousands of Christians because there were thousands of them in the city. The question is, how is there thousands of Christians in Rome when they're 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem where the event took place? They're 1,500 miles. The event happened back in Jerusalem, the Judea area. And yet, the word has been spreading, and people were talking, and people were writing that people in Rome had interaction with people who were actually eyewitnesses. And, they, and it began to spread all through the city of Rome. I say that because in college, and some of our places are of higher education and universities, in that culture, people are quick to say, well, the whole Jesus thing, it's kind of fabricated, actually. You know, it's kind of made up. You know, people made copies, they made mistakes, and they uh, made other copies that had more mistakes. And as time went on, the legend gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, somebody decided that Jesus rose from the dead. And so university people say, I don't believe that. There's no proof for that. But the problem is this. We don't believe in the resurrection just because it's said in the Bible. We believe it because there were people that were there that wrote about it. Because we believe within 30 years, there were thousands of Christians, not just in Jerusalem, but actually in Rome, believing that Jesus had rose from the dead. 30 years is certainly not enough time for some myth, some legend, some fable to be put together because eyewitnesses are all, there's many of them still alive that could have discredited any kind of a legend or myth that was being spread. 30 years after the crucifixion, thousands of people. 20 years after the resurrection, thousands. 10 years after the resurrection, we know of hundreds and hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses to everything that has happened. So when you do the math, it's really pretty well impossible, according to the timeline, that the resurrection is some kind of legend or some kind of myth. It's impossible to come to that conclusion that a myth could have grown so quickly, especially for a place that was so far away from Jerusalem. Let me give you another reason why for you to consider that the resurrection is true. We read the passage in John, who again, who's the eyewitness. He tells us who the first people were that saw the resurrected Christ. Who was it? We read it. Was it? It was Mary, right? It was a woman, of all things. A woman in this culture, let me tell you, women weren't given a lot of credibility for what they said. In fact, let me just quote a Celsus an early Greek philosopher. This, is, by the way, is not what I'm saying. This is what he said. This is clear the air. 
okay? He's, a, he's an early Greek philosopher from the second century who hated Christians, and he was one of the first, he wrote one of the first comprehensive intellectual attacks on Christianity, and he said, and I quote, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? If he said that today, he wouldn't be alive tomorrow, I can tell you that. This is a period of history that would have been very, uh, mis- um, I think I've lost the word, that came to my mind. There's a time anyway when, when women weren't well respected, they thought of very lowly. So it would be very appropriate that this philosopher would attack that, because in that day and age, I mean, right, there's no credibility with women, and so of course he's going to attack that. See, it's, it's nothing but a, a fabrication, a woman was the one who tells the story that he saw the resurrected Christ. So let me tell you why it's such a big deal. Because in the ancient world, in the first century, women had absolutely zero, right? Zero credibility. Uh, Like a woman would would never be brought to court to testify. If you brought a lady to be an eyewitness, you'd be the laughingstock of the city. It just... It just didn't happen because women had no credibility. So if you were making up this story, if you were trying to make up some myth, some legend, some fable, you definitely wouldn't be saying that it was the women who were the eyewitnesses of the account. You, you just wouldn't do that. You would throw yourself into maybe as a hero. Maybe John throw himself as a hero. Or, or, or Mark or Matthew. Somebody else needs to be the hero because it can't be women. But do you know Why? The gospel say say it this way? Because that's what happened. That's what happened. The first time that she went back to the disciples, she said that the tomb is empty. Someone has stolen the body. And the second time when she goes back, I have seen him. I have seen the Lord. God really has come through. And she's told to go tell her brothers and sisters. In other words, Mary, I know you went once to tell the, tell the people to say, I want you to go again. I don't want you to tell them that the tomb is just empty. I want you to tell them that I'm alive. Mary, go back with a completely different message. Tell them you have seen the Lord. Jesus really is who he said he was. This is Mary coming back to the disciples. I'm sure she told him, we can really trust him. Death has been arrested. Our lives can begin again. And although nothing earth-shattering happened in the world, in reality, everything had changed. Because Jesus was alive. And it changed everything for her. See, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Because there's some eyewitnesses. People like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and James and the Apostle. We believe because there were thousands of people that were so close to the event that it interacted with eyewitnesses who actually believed in the resurrection. There was definitely not enough time for some myth to be developed. The truth is, 
Today, all over the world, Christians are gathered to celebrate. But they're not celebrating simply a resurrection. They are celebrating the implications of the resurrection. That's what has gathered people together today. Because when you fully understand the resurrection, and we take seriously the death of Jesus on our behalf, it changes everything about us. I mean, every single element of our lives, every single facet of our lives is different because it impacts the way we spend our time. It impacts who we spend our time with. It impacts how we entertain ourselves. It impacts how we spend our money. It impacts how we mourn. It impacts how we love. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us as well. Every decision that you make, every relationship that you invest in, every dream that you have, every plan that you make, the way you treat others, because it's different because Jesus is alive. And because of the resurrection, think about this. Because of the resurrection, we can actually talk to God and he listens. Unbelievable. Never happened before. We can talk to God and he listens. Like when you pray, he's a father who hears you. And he's a good, good father. And when you pray in private, he oftentimes rewards you in public. Because of the resurrection, we can know that life is different. Do you know, until Jesus came, most, like, the Jews didn't believe, like, in this resurrection. They, 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 they didn't know about this heaven. It was Jesus who came and talked about a heaven that there actually was a life after this life. In fact, he actually said, I'm going to go. He tells me, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to actually go prepare a place for all of you, and then I'm going to come back. See, early Jews didn't know anything about that. That was something brand new. See, the resurrection literally changes everything. In fact, as a Christian, every time you bury somebody who's a Christian, we mourn differently because we know there's actually hope, not because the Bible said so, but because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why. But here's the best news of all. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus rose from the dead, You can put your faith in him. You actually can trust him. That he is who he says he is. If you find yourself to be a little bit skeptical here this morning, I just want to encourage you to consider what Jesus offers. Like it really, it, it's, it's too good to just simply ignore it without actually trying to, to consider what Jesus has done for us, that he rose again. But here's really the obvious question. 
that has to be answered. I mean, when it all gets boiled down to, the question really is on this Easter Sunday morning that you have to answer, and that is, who is Jesus? Like, who is Jesus? And on this Easter, that question actually was answered. He is exactly who he claimed to be. Savior, Lord, worthy of your consideration and worthy of your life this morning. Let's pray.